in Psalm 77. So before we kind of jump in to actually read that, though, I just want to share a little bit of my story, a little my, my journey. So about four years ago, I graduated from grad school. And for those of you who've gone through some sort of graduation there, whether it be high school, college, graduate school, whatever other school, when you get to that point, there's this kind of sense of, one, relief that you've gotten through this journey, but there's this sense of excitement. There's this sense of hope and expectation. And that's something that I felt there, that here I've gone through, I put in all this work, all this time and energy and all these resources into this, and I was excited. I was excited for what the next story was going to be in my journey. There was hope for new job opportunities and really a hope to see what God had in store for my life. The thing is, what God had in store for that next year actually ended up being one of the most challenging years of my life. This hope of new job opportunities kind of led to job stagnation. With that came frustration and discouragement. I also started to see how sin could impact relationships there. As I walked alongside a good friend of mine as he was experiencing the process of going through a divorce. On top of that, I saw how sin could impact a church as all of a sudden some revelations came out and my, sin, or my church found itself in crisis. There was a lot of anger, there was a lot of discouragement, a lot of fear, a lot of emotion in it. And then on top of all that, as we're going through these things, what, I, what we found is an unexpected housing situation that sent us kind of spiraling and scrambling to find where are we gonna live? So this year that was supposed to, in my mind, be this journey filled with excitement and hope that started in a city that I loved in Portland ended up with me being in a state of confusion, feeling scarred and wounded and exhausted in the city of Denver, Colorado. And along that journey, I remember a lot of sleepless nights, just lying in bed, trying to figure out, God, what are you doing in all of this there? I'm seeing so much pain, I'm seeing so much heartache, where are you? And oftentimes it felt like I would sit in silence. And that's a hard place to be. And I'm guessing I'm not the only one who's been on a journey where you experience pain and doubt and heartache. And that's because we live in a world that is marked by sin. And we live in a world that we are going to experience trials. We are going to experience times of suffering, times of heartache. But the good, good news is we don't have to sit in that alone. And one of the beauty of us spending some time in the Psalms this summer is that we have the opportunity to look back at the stories and the prayers of people who thousands of years ago have gone through journeys of heartache and pain and suffering. And we get the opportunity to look back and say, what has God been doing in this story? And we have the opportunity to answer the question for ourselves when we find ourselves in times of heartache or despair or confusion or doubt 
where can we find hope? And what can we do in those situations? And that's what I believe Psalm 77 is going to answer for us today. And that's the question I want you guys to be processing as we're kind of looking to this is when we find ourselves in times of trial or times of despair, what can we do? So take a look at Psalm 77. It starts, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble I seek the Lord. In the night my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has he forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all of your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. And your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Let those words sit with you a little bit. I think sometimes when I read through a psalm like this, I kind of feel like this shouldn't be here. It's too raw. It's too real. It feels like something that we shouldn't be hearing. I think I have this false conception in my mind that the, the walk of a Christian, the walk of a follower of God is one that's supposed to be easy, one that's supposed to be joyful. And so when I come to the words of someone who's striving to follow God in turmoil, it's hard to hear. This is a man who's, who's coming to God. And in it, he continues to find pain and heartache as he's trying to wrestle and process this. It just seems so real. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. Those words are hard to hear because it, it speaks to how hard our lives can be. And it's not going to be easy all the time. It's really hard in our day and age because I feel oftentimes, and maybe I'm the only one, but I feel like there's times that, you, that we have to have it all together. 
and we present this picture that everything is going right, everything is smoothly. Just think of like the conversations that we have when we ask people, oh, how are things going? Oh, it's great. It's fine. It's good. We exchange pleasantries. Even if our heart is breaking, even if we find ourselves in seasons where we're sleepless at night. So how does this psalm speak to us in those seasons? What does it tell us that we should do? Well, the first thing is be honest. And that sounds really simple. But in my experience, I find that a lot harder than it sounds. And most importantly, be honest with God. When I found myself in that season a few years back of, of restless nights and sleepless nights there, I was reading through some psalms, and I got to this point where I recognized, like, I'm not being honest with God. I found myself in a position where I would walk into a prayer and be like, oh, everything's fine. God, it's okay. And if, if the God that we know and the God that we worship is who he says he is, he knew it wasn't okay. He knew that my heart was distressed. He knew that I was angry. He knew that I was doubting. And I realized I needed to be honest, not with just myself, but I needed to be honest with God. And this psalm is a picture and a portrait of that, that we can come to God and we can be real with him. Here's the psalmist who is coming in and he's saying, I remember God when I met and I moan. He's entering into a time of prayer and he's confessing to God that this is hard for me to be here. This is hard to come into your presence and trust you. Yet he's being honest about that. And it's in that honesty that I truly believe that God starts to work in our hearts. And so as you're going through this journey, whether you're in a season of blessing or a season of distress and turmoil and despair, I would encourage you to be honest with your circumstances. Be honest with God. He wants you to tell him where you're at in that prayer. And he meets us there. And we'll see how that, as we kind of continue with the story, how he does that. The psalmist in his, his journey is, is wrestling with a lot of heartache, a lot of doubt. And it culminates in these questions in verses 7 through 9. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Have you ever been in a, in a situation where you've asked yourselves questions like this? I know I have. It's hard to admit that. Doubt is a very real thing. And the thing is, it's a very normal thing. God has placed this psalm in here for us to recognize that it's normal to have doubts, that we can have these questions here. And yet, the thing that we are to do with this 
What are we to do in times of despair or times of doubt? So we don't stop with our doubts. That's really easy to do, is to let these questions hang there. There's danger in that because we can start filling the answers to those questions with things that are untrue. One of the very first things that that happens in the word of God is you see Satan enter into the Garden of Eden and starts to challenge Adam and Eve, the first humans, to doubt and wants them to start answering these questions with things that are untrue. We live in a spiritual reality that it's easy to start to answer those questions when it's untrue. And so we we must not stop there. The psalmist doesn't stop at verse 9. He continues. He leans into pursuing answers to these questions. He gives himself the opportunity to explore his doubts. And that would be my encouragement to you. If you find yourself in a place where you are sitting in doubts or having questions about God, if you're questioning the goodness of God, if you're questioning the greatness of God, ask those questions, but explore the answers. And how do we go about doing that? That's what we see in the second half of this psalm. Up until now, these first nine verses, the psalmist has been talking about where he has been and what he has been doing. But in verse 10, we start to see him talk about, okay, what will I do from here? He says, then I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. There's a little bit of irony here when we read this psalm. Because what was the psalmist doing in verse 3? He was remembering and he was meditating. What was the psalmist doing in verse 6? He was remembering. He was meditating. Those places had led him to places of sleepless nights, to despair, to doubt. And as he's writing these words, the thing that he decides to commit to do is to continue to meditate and to remember. So what are we to do in times of despair, times of trial? We must commit and persevere in remembering the story of God. Because it's in the story of God, when we look back at the things that God has done and the promises that he's kept, we can start to remember the promises that he plans to fulfill. And when I was prepping for today, the thing that kept coming to mind and to me as I was praying and I was, I was reading was, tell them the story of God. We must know the story of God if we are going to find ourselves in crisis, if we want to continue to follow God. And the story that this psalmist reflects back on himself, we get clued into in the last few verses there. When he talks about that your way was through the sea. The psalmist is reflecting on the story that we find in Exodus. And he uses that story to start to answer the questions of his doubts. 
Some of you may be familiar with the story of Exodus. Some of you may not be. What we find is that at the beginning of that story is that this family of dozens had found themselves in Egypt as welcome guests. But over the story of centuries, that family of dozens grew to family, a family of hundreds of thousands. And all of a sudden, the Egyptians who had welcomed this family with open arms and with joy and had given them a plot of land that was a true blessing to them, they started going, well, that's a lot of people over there. They started to worry about their well-being. And the Pharaoh decided to enslave the people of God. And so this journey of hundreds of years they've been spending went from a time of blessing to a time of slavery. And along this journey, what we also see is that the people of God had actually started to turn from God and instead had turned to the gods of Egypt. And during this time frame, they found themselves enslaved and in despair. And they cry out. They're suffering. They're in pain. And what we see in this is probably one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. You can find it in Exodus uh, chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. I'll read it. It said, During those many days the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. What we see here is a people who had forgotten God, that God had not forgotten them. And when they cry out because of their pain, God actually hears it. And God actually remembers, it says it remembers his covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob. That is a promise that from centuries before that he had made with the patriarchs of this family that had grown to hundreds of thousands, that he would bless them, and he remembered it. The psalmist who is referencing the stories of God and the story of Exodus can look back at this, and when his question of asking, have you forgotten? He can look back and see a God who remembers. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. There's something about that that, when I was reading that, really struck me. Because in that word, new, there's an intimacy. Same word that you see when talking about the knowledge between a husband and a wife. So when we look at that passage, when the people of God are suffering, and when it says that God knew, his knowledge isn't just the same as, oh, I know that two plus two equals four. Instead, what it's saying and what it's experiencing is that their suffering, that they're experiencing, God has such intimate knowledge of that pain himself, that their pain and their heartache is his pain and his heartache there. So when the psalmist asks, has his steadfast love forever ceased? 
The answer is no. He can look back at a story of God who loves so deeply and knows so deeply that when the psalmist is in his own pain and his own suffering, God recognizes that as his own pain and his own suffering. The story of God continues in Exodus. And God raises up a man named Moses to go and confront Pharaoh and bring out the, to bring out the people to deliver them from slavery and deliver them into the land that God had promised to them centuries before. Remember, God remembers his covenant. And in this story, God then sends 10 plagues. And a lot of people think, oh, that's just to kind of maybe punish the Egyptians for what they had done to God's people. But that's not actually what's happening in that part of the story. Instead, what we see is each plague is a direct correlation with the God of Egypt. And so when God is sending these plagues, he's reminding his people that he is the true God. When the psalmist writes, what God is great like our God, he can look at the Exodus and say, look at what God has done in the face of other gods. He has made his name known to the Israelites. And multiple times in the story of Exodus, God also says, I'm doing this so the Egyptians can know that I am the Lord. The story of God tells us the greatness of God. So that when we are in our suffering and we are in our pain, we know that we have a God who is greater and more powerful than the things that can bring us pain and suffering. And then eventually, Pharaoh lets the Israelites go. And so they have a mass exodus. And they find themselves coming up to a sea in front of them. And Pharaoh changed his mind. And so he sent out his armies to chase them and the Israelites found themselves again in time of turmoil and despair and doubt. Like, what are we going to do? There's something in front of us that we can't get past, and Pharaoh is behind us, coming to kill us. The psalmist reflects, your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. And he's reflecting on that story, because what happens is God opens a path through the sea for them to walk through on dry land so that they can escape the incoming forces of Egypt. The story of the Exodus becomes a pattern throughout the story of Scripture. You'll see it referenced a lot as you read through the Old Testament. And the reason behind that is it, it becomes a pattern of redemption of someone who had been enslaved and brought to freedom. In fact, it ends up being a model and representation of, a, of what the psalmist is waiting for himself. And that's the coming of a deliverer, a deliverer, that, deliverer who himself would go down to Egypt and then come back and deliver his people from the slavery of sin. And we see that in the person of Jesus. So what we see here is that the psalmist is using the story of God and the promises that he's seen already fulfill to look ahead to the promises that he is waiting for.
That's why it's so important for us to know the story of God. It's why we come to church on Sundays to hear the word of God. It's why we read our Bibles. It's why we meet in fellowship groups to talk about what God is doing in our lives. Because we can, when we start to see the story of God, we can find hope in that there. So what are we to do when we find ourselves in times of doubt and find ourselves in times of distress and discouragement? One, we need to be honest about our situation. Two, we need to not stop there. And three, we need to remember the story of God. Because the story of God is one of redemption. A story of God is a God who loves and is passionate about his people. A story of God is one who cares so deeply that he steps into their pain and suffering and experiences it with them. It's the whole story of the incarnation. God himself taking on human flesh, stepping into our world, stepping into our pain to lead us to a place of restoration and hope and redemption. Now you may also be asking yourself or saying to yourself, I've done this. I've been here before. And I'm clinging to these things, yet the pain is still there. My hope is that this psalm can be an encouragement for you. Because if you read these words, what you're finding is the psalmist is leaning into the story of God, and yet he still finds himself with sleepless nights. He still finds himself in pain. That when he comes into the presence and reflects and meditates on God, he's still moaning because of his suffering there. So what, what are we supposed to do with that? For that, I want to turn to an old friend, Mr. Rogers. Shortly after I selected this psalm to preach, in fact, the day after I selected, I went and saw a documentary. It's called Won't You Be My Neighbor. It's a documentary about Mr. Rogers, talking a little bit about his story, his show, what he was done, what he was doing, what he wanted to accomplish. And they were interviewing one of the actresses on the show. And she was describing a moment where she realized like, how important what they were doing was and, and how important the work that Mr. Rogers was pouring his life into was for these children. And so she's describing this scene, and she's interacting with the puppet Daniel the Tiger, which if you have small children these days, there's a whole new cartoon about Daniel the Tiger where he's the star of it there. Well, Mr. Rogers does all the puppetry, and he's the voice of all the puppets there. And in this scene, we're going to watch a little bit of, of a clip of it there. But it starts where Daniel the Tiger starts talking with Lady Aberlin, and, she, and he's saying, I feel like I'm a mistake. I feel like I'm suffering. I feel like I'm, I'm feeling this pain because there's no one else like me. There's something wrong with me. And he begins to sing this song about his doubts and his fears. And in response, after that, Lady Aberlin begins to sing a new song to him about really what the truth was, about all of his uniqueness, about how much he's cared for, about all the things he brings to this world. And, and they were interviewing her, and, and she was saying, you think that that would have been enough? 
And I thought as we were kind of preparing for this, it would just kind of stop there, that everything would be okay. But it didn't. Instead, something else happened. Something beautiful happened. So let's watch. so easy for Daniel the tiger to sit there and say, okay, thanks, I'm better now. But instead what happens is he shows an experience that I think we can all probably relate to. The pain doesn't go away right away. And instead what we see is a duet where the song of hope is intertwined with the song of doubt. And I remember watching this scene, this scene and thinking, isn't that just what's happening here? In this psalm. That the psalmist is singing this song of doubt and hope coming together. And so my encouragement to you, if you're sitting in a place where you ever find yourself in a place where that doubt or heartache, or that pain that you feel. Allow the songs and the stories of God to start to form a duet with the songs of your now. It means we are honest about the pain. We know that it's going to stay, that it takes time, but allow the hope of God to start to shape that because there's something extraordinarily beautiful about someone who is pain or doubting or suffering saying, you know what? I can look at the story of God and no matter how hard it is right now or how hurt I feel, there's a God who feels my hurt. There's a God who is walking alongside me and is speaking truth into me so that I don't have to stay with these doubts. Again, when you hear truth, it doesn't make the pain go away, but it can provide us hope. Again, just as the psalmist looked back at the story of God and looked to a future expectation, we can do that as well too. We can look back at the story of God 
of a king who stepped into our world to die for us, to experience pain with us, so that he can start to bring about a kingdom that we can look forward to, where he will wipe away the tears from our eyes. Let that be a hope to you. There's one thing I want to close with and highlight for you as you're, as you're thinking about this. Look back at the first couple verses. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. The psalm opens with a man who is desperate and is reaching out his hand, saying, someone please help me. There's doubt and pain, and he's reaching out for help. Take a look at the last verse of the psalm. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. The picture for the person who is reaching out their hand in desperation is a picture of a God who also reaches out and takes that hand and walks alongside you through that despair. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to come and, and listen to the word of God. Lord, I pray that these words that you, you've provided for us in this psalm allow it to be hope for us. Lord, I pray for those in, in seasons of, of trial and despair. Lord, allow them to find comfort in your story. Lord, for those who are in times of joy, allow this to be a reminder to them for when seasons of, of turmoil come. And allow this to be an opportunity to continue to grow and learn in your word. We ask this in your name. Amen.